Welcome to Building the Future, hosted by Kevin Horick. With millions of listeners a month, Building the Future has quickly become one of the fastest rising programs with a focus on interviewing startups, entrepreneurs, investors, CEOs, and more. The radio and TV show airs in 15 markets across the globe, including Silicon Valley. For full showtimes, past episodes, or to sponsor the show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Ari Throw. He's the co-founder of XYO. Ari, welcome to the show. Oh, thank you, Kevin. Thanks for having me here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I think what you're involved with and everything uh, XYO is actually doing is really innovative and cool. And it's kind of an interesting time for the blockchain crypto space right now. But maybe before we get into all that, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Okay, well, um, I was uh, born in South Africa originally. I moved to oh, cool. Cleveland, Ohio, actually, of all places, in uh, 1976 as a seven-year-old and uh, learned English there. So um, Afrikaans was actually my original uh, language. But then um, I, I grew up in Cleveland, went to high school there, went to college in New York at New York Tech. And um, ever since about third grade or so, I've been fascinated with computers and technology. I got the TRS-80 Model 1 in 1979 and started playing with that. So I've pretty much been using computers my entire adult life or even pre-adult life. Interesting. So were you fascinated before you got one or just when you got one, you became fascinated by it? Probably more when I got one. So um, my father was a physician. And so okay. he had bought a computer system for his office to automate some of the billing and stuff like that from Radio Shack at the time. And so he went, you know, to kind of took me to the, the classes so he could learn how to use the computer. And so I just kind of sat there as a 10 year old, a third grader, listening and partaking in the class. And it just it blew my socks off and I thought it was amazing. So once I, I, I really enjoyed that, uh, he decided to get me a computer and so I just started playing with that. So it was definitely the exposure at the you know, Radio Shack Computer Center um, thing from the, the late seventies that got me going. Very cool. So you went to university, what did you take and why? I went to computer, you know, to computer science there. Um, I would argue actually I went to university because uh, living in New York at the time, I. Um, really couldn't get any interviews as a software engineer without having a, a, a degree of some sort. I could you know, program and develop. So I, I went there. I would say it, it probably was good for me to actually go to the university anyway, because of the fact that I learned a lot of more of the theoretical aspects of develop, developing software and some of the, the more purist sort of, of concepts. So it was definitely was not a waste. It's just something which I, at the time, thought was not necessary because I was pretty eager to to get my career going and build cool stuff. and use computers out there and get paid to do what I love doing anyway. Interesting. Okay. So walk us through your career, maybe just some highlights along the way, and then let's dive into what you're doing today. Well, I started off as um, a software engineer working for um, a small company in New York. Uh, probably, I guess, you know, my first touch with entrepreneurship, it was you know, probably a 30-person company, a couple founders of that, they were doing well. Um, they made... Uh, tools actually for Visual Basic back in the day. Oh, so that's my first real programming job. I, you know, I made like the little tab component that went into Visual Basic and stuff like that. And then um, from there, I worked at a couple other companies after that, um, you know, did some consulting. And eventually in about 2008 or so, I started my first, um, well, probably my, my third company at the time, but my first company that actually had legs. And um, it, it did quite well. We ended up exiting that in 2015. Um, it was called Sombrill, and um, it did um, uh, browser 
plugins and add-ons and added features to to users' experience on a browser. So that was my first um, uh, real experience with being an entrepreneur as well as just a software engineer. But um, really, I, you know, I, I I spent probably the first uh, 10 years, 15 years of my career, really getting better at my craft by working um, mostly under entrepreneurs and mentors that um, that were really good engineers as well. Okay, so walk us through what you're doing today with XYO, and then let's dive into that. And how did you come up with the idea? So for a long time, I've been really fascinated with with data at large um, and set theory revolving around data. Um, the fact that you know, all data kind of already exists and certain kinds of data is and certain kinds of data are asserted. And the um, the certainty of that data can vary from thing to thing. So um, you know, I would actually you know, prescribe myself as a, um, a dataist and the fact that you know, data to a large degree is one of the most valuable things um, in the world. So I got fascinated with that when I was working in my, my previous startup um, and how you can actually manipulate uh, the world through data. And that's kind of really what the internet is. The internet is a whole bunch of connected computers, but it's it's you know a way to actually look at the world through a certain lens. And each person's reality is kind of different based on the data they have in their mind and their memories and their interactions with people. So I wanted to replicate a lot of that on a computer and in a system. And that's kind of what the original impetus was for my current company was to build something like that. Uh, it was originally called Webble, and the idea was it was these little web bubbles, basically, where you have certain amounts of data in there, which uh, is for a certain domain, and then you can interact these different um, domains of data to make um, offshoots or expanded versions of those data sets. The biggest problem I had with that was making them um, self-sovereign was really difficult at the time because um, you know, a person could put whatever they wanted to in there the history of them could be lost or you'd have to storm somewhere. And when crypto came around, um, that was really, to me, a big um, change in thinking about how I could actually accomplish the goals that I started to do in 2012 with using cryptography, using hashes and using blockchains where you can basically link the past of things together. And that's what really was the impetus for the white paper for XYO was how do you build um, different sets of data represent the relationships between those sets of data, but also make them self-sovereign and not require consensus to be true. Interesting. Okay. So you've been at this a while. Walk us through the evolution of XYO until up until what it is today. Well, so XYO, we started, the white paper was in 2018. Um, that's when we issued our token back then. Um, the first iteration of it was much more location centric. So uh, you know, I had a, a previous product called um, XY Finders and they were, were um, little hardware devices you could put on your keys and it would locate your things for you in the real world. So it would use a Bluetooth signal to kind of record where your last location was of the thing. And you can also make it make a sound so you can go find it. So it was a way to actually you know, reach into the physical world from your app or your, your virtual world. And uh, using that technology and our our connection to the, the physical world, uh, one of the, the very interesting parts of data when it comes to you know, being a data is, is how does it relate to, to reality? And so, for example, just you know, having a location or just having a person um, isn't that interesting, but if you'd say, well, this person was at this location at this time, it becomes much more interesting, or you know, this item is at this location. So location and time are probably the two most important heuristics when it comes to data and taking data from being just a, you know, a, 
a stated heuristic, um, like blue, for example, you can say blue, but blue doesn't mean anything until you say, you know, this car is blue and this car is at this location and it was blue at this time. Maybe after seeing the sun for a hundred years, it's not blue anymore. So the time matters there. So location was a very important part of that. So um, we really made XBIO 1.0, the technology kind of revolve around this hardware device and uh, location in there. And um, you know, it, it was quite difficult to use. The premise also was based off of uh, affordable gas on Ethereum and smart contracts, which turned out to be not good because the gas prices, as most people know, went um, completely haywire over the last few years. So um, starting last year, we pivoted into this, well, we pivoted, but we started working on XBIO 2.0, which is um, a more um, like JSON-based version of the same data structures, which is these entangled uh, bound witness or uh, entangled blockchains basically, which stores the data for location and for the things which you observe at these locations. And we are doing it more on computers and phones as opposed to on little IoT devices, which has become much more efficient and much better. And, and along with that, we also introduced Coin, which is an app which people can use as a front end to interact with XBIO. So um, you know, that's really become the way that people become familiar with XYO is by using coin and enjoying it. So to some degree, I would say we're one of the companies out there, which is, you know, we're a, a profitable company that um, also does blockchain as opposed to just a, a blockchain project, which hopes to have a long enough runway from their token to be able to make something. And we're also really crossing web two and web three together because you know, an app, for example, is a Web2 solution, but it also accesses Web3. I think Jack Dorsey was the one who coined that term recently, you know, Web5, which is kind of where Web2 and Web3 meet. And I think we're solidly in that Web5 sort of a category. Okay, so give us some examples of how people can use XYO and, and the data now. And maybe like, you don't have to say client names, but maybe give us some examples of how some clients are using it just so people fully understand. So uh, many of those use cases kind of manifest themselves in coin. So for example, depending on which region you're in, you might get different offers to collect data for us that some of our partners would want and you could reward it with coin. Like one of the examples is um, during COVID, a lot of stores closed or their hours changed or their rules changed and that sort of a thing. So a lot of um, data, providers out there, they had very stale data. They didn't know, you know, is the store still open or is it open on the same days or are the hours still the same? Or are they you know, takeout only and you can't sit down there anymore? So what uh, we would do is we would ask our um, customers with coin to go and you know, if they're in an area, we'll say, hey, can you go there take a photo of the front of the store? Tell us if it's open, tell us what the hours are and those sorts of things. And we'd have, um, you know, depending on what the, the customer wanted as far as um, this data goes, we have you know, two or three or maybe even 10 people go and do the same thing completely independently. And then you can look at that data and see you know, if, I call it a micro consensus. If, if nine out of the 10 are exactly the same, then we know that's almost certainly the truth of what the hours are of the store or the, you know, the fact that it's still open or, or not. So that we you know, hand that back as the answer. So it's really crowdsourcing physical world data for a company which needs to know something that's out there without having to have them go and hire a team of people to go and wander around and get these things. So it's much more cost effective for them to just make these little micro tasks for our users in coin. Got it. Okay. And then 
as somebody that's building an app, what types of data can I get access to? Um, like if you're making an app, you mean uh, using XBIO or if you're just using, making an app separately? Well, yeah, like, cause I would have to use your technology if I want to access the data, correct? Or how does that work? Well, we provide that uh, via APIs or via our blockchain answers. So a person just access it um, in the back end. So it's uh, once those answers are there, then we can provide them. Uh, if they're a very web two company, we can provide them just an API endpoint where they can download those answers uh, to the questions which they've asked. Or if they want to, they can go and um, look through our data with our uh, web three connections so they can see what those answers were on there. But that's all done um, you know, at the back end there. And then they import that data into their system and then they can use that data however they want to to show it to their users. Okay, so I have to ask the questions and then like XYO will get me the answers from users. Like you don't have data sets that I can just say like, I really want data about, I don't know, the real estate market in Southern California or something like that. Well, we have some of that. So like, for example, um, if you wanna know, um, yeah, what percent of people of our customers go to to McDonald's once a week versus Burger King once a week? We we have a lot of that data that's that's mineable, so we you know, we can use our existing data in those cases to come up with answers where you know we don't have to collect any more data. So it's it's you know, preemptively collected data basically with our app, and then after the fact we can answer that question. And in some cases, like the store one. We didn't go and ask you know, our customers to go and take photos of every single store in the world. So that's a just-in-time data model where they ask a question and the answer you know, is possible. If we already have the answer, we'll give it to them. But in those cases, usually it's pretty rare because they have a very specific question like, you know, is this specific restaurant still open or not? So that's the just-in-time model. But both of them exist. And so we have some data sets that we, we mine for, um, generally speaking, you know, larger scale answers, uh, not like specifically like where was this one person? You know, that's a PII problem. But more you know, like uh, people who are in the physical world in New York, what are their behaviors, or you know, where's the traffic heavier, and that sort of a thing. Okay, so and I'm curious if, if you get this question a lot: is do people not really understand which data they really need to collect, and like, do you help them through that? It's like. And like, for an example, it's like, I'm trying to solve this problem. Like, how do I go about, or what questions do I need to ask to actually retrieve that data? Because yeah, obviously if it's something as simple as like, is this store open? But as you know, like a company that's collecting certain types of data, it some you need to ask the proper questions to get the actual proper data that you're actually looking for. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, we generally work with our partners on that. So the, the customer or the, the the users of Coin don't really know. Uh, we just ask them specific things. They'll take a photo of this, or you know, take a photo of the hours of that, or tell us you know if it's open or closed. Um, you know those sorts of things. Uh, what question we're trying to answer is not something which we necessarily share with our Coin users. But for the people who are are trying to use this data, what we do is we sit down with them and say, well, you know, what is it that you're trying to figure out? You know, what's the geo that you want to do it in? You know what's the the level of certainty you want? For example, you know, would you rather have ten times as many stores checked with one person, or you know, a third of those with three people checking it to have higher certainty? So, what's their their need for certainty? For example, what's their um, need for frequency? How often do they want to recheck it? Do they want to you know every week have to you know, verify that the store is still open? Um, for example, we also um, do uh, locations and stores. Like you can say, well, you know. 
if you're Coca-Cola and you're paying for an end cap in stores and you want to get third-party validation that the store is actually putting your product on the end cap, our, our customers, when they happen to be at that, that grocery store, we can just ask them, oh, by the way, find the Coca-Cola end cap and take a photo with, for us. We put a stamp on there of where the location was, what the time was, we put it in the blockchain so it's an audit trail and it can't be changed. And then we can go to them and say, well, look, here's proof that your, um, your product was actually at the end cap. Or if several different users all fail to find that end cap, that's also in, in, interesting to them as well. So we have to generally work with them to understand what the questions they are and then how to be either use our existing data to answer that question or get new data to be able to answer the question or use some combination of the two. Got it. Okay. So in what locations then can people actually sign up and actually start using and collecting coin? Well, all over the world, you know, barring okay. you know, certain countries which are um, uh, you know, not allowed to have apps in them from the app store and play store. So pretty much everywhere in the world, minus um, those like 10 or 15 uh, countries which have um, app restrictions on them. But um, it, it varies from country to country what types of things people are willing to pay us for data. So your, your value of your data is going to vary, kind of like the value of advertising. You know, advertising in the US is much more valuable than advertising in, say, Argentina or something like that, just because the um, you know the average spending of a U.S. citizen versus an Argentine citizen is a lot higher, and so people are willing to pay for clicks more. There's same kind of thing with this data, knowing answers of how you know Americans wander around or Europeans wander around is a lot more valuable for them than other people in the world. Right. Okay. So walk us through actually if I'm a consumer and I'm looking to you know use Coin walk us through what i need to do just so people listening can can maybe start doing this well all they have to do is go to the app store and look for the coin app there's you know you can install the coin app on your phone on android or ios sign up for an account from there with your email and start collecting coin it's geo mine in there so wherever you go you um push a little button on there with a little pickaxe and geo mines collect some data for you um unlike most companies we're very transparent about you know, the fact that we're collecting data and we're um providing you a way to monetize your own data. We're not collecting data without your knowledge or that sort of a thing. And then uh, once you have that, you know, you have a certain amount of coin, you can take that, you can redeem it for different things like XBO um, tokens, uh, Bitcoin, Ethereum, or PlayStation 5, for example, and different uh, kinds of rewards. We also have different tasks, like even surveys people can take in the app. So once you get that app, the coin app, that's the best way to, to you know, use our system from a, a consumer side. Um, if you want to use that from a developer side, then we have developer relations where we go through to um, do that. And same thing for um, data purchasing is much more of a business to business sort of a, of a thing. But most people just use coin. Uh, we have, I think, to date, like 5 million installs of coin. Um, and uh, a lot of people out there are using it. So it's it's a good way to get lots of data. Okay, interesting. And then I want to dive a bit deeper into the developer side. So I asked my questions. Um, well, I guess even before that, so how do I get XYO into my app and start actually asking questions and pulling data from either the repository or the questions I, I have on coin? So um, right now, coins are our largest user, of course, of, um, of XYO, the XYO backend. And our SDKs for iOS and Android are the write-only SDKs. So what you do is you install those, and then those SDKs let you get data or it'll get the data for you. So for example, location or your information about your phone and those sorts of things. 
or ad hoc, you can add some other information. So say, for example, you want to take a photo of something, you can put it in there. Um, that information basically is pushed from the app to our storage um, of there. And then um, all the rest of the data processing, whether it's it's going through that data, um, you know, checking the, the hashes to make sure it's all valid, uh, getting an uh, a answer with certainty, that's all done off the phone. It's not done on the person's phone. So it's, it's done um, after the fact, kind of like going to Etherscan and looking at things there. So um, your app just basically needs the, the SDKs to be able to produce data on there. Uh, at some point, we probably will be um, making a more uh, read-enabled SDK version for Coin, sorry, for XYO as well, so people can actually directly use some of this, the data that they stored um, from their phones back in the app. But we um, we don't do that very much right uh, right now. But even in Coin's case, when it doesn't want to pull data back, it pulls it back through APIs because the um, the data that we stored is in our archivist, and our archivist basically can can regurgitate that data with you know, signatures and cryptographically sound forms. So getting it back through API is the easiest way to do it right now, as opposed to using an SDK. Okay, interesting. So if, can I basically, if I'm a company that's like, can I use a different front end other than coin for XYO and create my own, or I have to use, the two together. Well, you can use whatever front end you want to. Uh, if you want, if you have your own app, for example, or if you want to write your own app, you can just use our SDK, put it in there, and start collecting data with that that SDK, and then um, retrieve that data basically from the API and do whatever you want to with it. Um, you, you know, so I think for most people, it's probably more likely that they have an existing app and they want to add some um, some of this functionality or auto trails to their existing app rather than they're um, making a whole new app around it. The one thing which you do have to use our SDK for is, um, which is a separate SDK actually, is to interact with our Sentinel X cards. So we have this cards called Sentinel X that people buy from us. And it's a way to verify um, uniqueness out in the, the physical world. So it has an NFC chip inside of it, which has a rotating cipher and kind of like a, um, you know, the, those uh, two-factor authentication apps you have. So every time you scan it with your phone, it comes up with a new ID, but we can actually look at that ID and see if it's the same card with the same ID. And um, that's basically used so that if we ask, if we want to make sure a person's uh, not cheating at making data, if, you, if they scan that along with their data, then we know it's the same person who's been scanning that because you can't um, just give the card out or you can't like photocopy the card and give it to other people. So it's a way for us to to verify that a chain of data is actually um, generated by a singular person. So that if you wanna use that as a way to, to make your data even more certain, you have to use our SDK to be able to scan that um, NFC card. Okay, got it. So maybe can you give us some use cases then if I already have an app and I'm, I'm not gonna use coin because it just doesn't make sense. Can you give us some other use cases for how people would integrate XYO into their current app? Well, the, the most common uh, request that we get is audit trails. So well, one thing that blockchain provides you is uh, data permanence. And so what happens is if, if you go and uh, scan the NFC card, for example, or if you go and collect data or do different things, if you store it in XYO, each time you store this piece of data, the uh, address or the wallet that we have in, the, in our SDK will go and sign that and make a chain out of it. And so as long as you have the hash or the most recent block in there, 
um, you can tell, you, know, you can walk that block back and you can tell if someone's removed some data. So for example, if you want to have um, you know, a service provider check into the, the app every hour to see where they're at and see if they're not, not hanging out at McDonald's instead of going to do their plumbing or whatever it is, they can use the app to do that, but it makes a, a transparent blockchain out of it. So you can actually see the auto trail for it. Or even if it's a, del a delivery aspect of it, where each time a package gets somewhere, you scan the package and then it will make the auto trail on trail for you. So basically a simple way to provide data permanence without having to write your own blockchain um, and also without having to put it on a consensus chain, because it's really expensive to do that. You can do it obviously with Ethereum or with like Polygon, but each time you make another block on there for your, your data, it's going to charge you gas. And so in our system, um, you don't need to do that because all it's doing is just basically um, making the blockchain for you without having to um, store it in a consensus-based system. It's just provable with cryptography without having to have consensus. So the auto trail is, is what provides um, a lot of security for people. And also a nice thing about it is you can actually have the auto trail where you can store the hashes for it um, publicly. So a person can see that you have an auto trail for something, but you can actually store the, the payloads for those auto trails privately. So no one can see what those auto trails are. But if in the future, if, you know, if, you know say somebody complains that something didn't get delivered or somebody didn't show up or you know, there's a lawsuit or whatever it is, you can actually expose the data at that point in time and you can prove the data which you're showing actually is the data that was collected based on the audit trail because it has the same hash. So it's it's pri or private until you don't need it to be private um, data storage with a full audit trail. Interesting. Okay. So how do you monetize the platform then? Oh, the um, the XYO platform. Mm -hmm. So the primary way right now is, is through Coin because you know, Coin basically connects the data purchasers with the data producers. So that's where our primary monetization comes from at this point. Uh, we do look at um, in the future having it be more balanced, where the gas that's being produced and the gas piece that's being paid to our different nodes in our system is going to be a larger portion of our revenue. But at this point in time, it's really the the ingress and um, the, the outside of the data that uh, provides the the most revenue for us. Got it. Okay. So I'm curious, obviously, kind of blockchain, crypto, maybe not so much blockchain, but the crypto space is definitely kind of all doom and gloom lately. And I always say that, like, I own some crypto. I don't think it's dead. And I think it'll, you know, we're still at the early stages. That's my opinion. But uh, I'm, I'm curious, what are your thoughts on the space and kind of what's happening right now? Well, yeah, I think it's definitely cyclical. You know, it's kind of like the stock market. The, the cycles on, on crypto tends to be a lot faster and, and right. more violent, it seems like, than most markets. But it's uh, it's definitely cyclical. And so the question is always like, hey, how long is this winter going to last? Um, you, know, you obviously want to... You know, buy at the low point, sell at the high point. If you're if you're playing a market, you know, it's always the thing. But uh, often, what happens in crypto is people are like, oh yeah, this is definitely the bottom, and then it goes down more, and then like, oh god, yeah, I shouldn't have bought that. I should have waited. So it's really hard to know how to time the market, and I think in general, timing markets are 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 bad. But overall, I think you know, to me, I, I don't really care so much about the the finance portion of of crypto because I care more about what the blockchain technology and the crypto concepts can provide. And so I think that's something which is going to stick and stay around for a long time. Um, and I actually think it like what's happening recently with FTX and those sorts of things, there needs to be a reckoning because you know everyone knew that there was some shenanigans going on somewhere. 
because sometimes there's these stories that are just too good to be true. Like the FTX story, it seemed to be too good to be true. And it turned out that one was. There are some that seem to be too good to be true and they just happen to be really, really good. And you know, you're happy for those people, but we needed to, to kind of filter those out. And I think short term, like the FTX situation and a lot of those, you know, BlockFi and a lot of those, those contagion portions of the FTX situation is going to hurt the whole space because I think it hurts trust. It hurts a lot of things, but a lot of people have pointed out that, you know, it's not a crypto problem. It's a fraud problem, right? You know, you can commit fraud yeah. in a variety of different ways. And FTX was, you know, feeling, oh, we should have regulated FTX. But FTX was regulated. The stuff they did was illegal you know, already. It's not like we need new laws to make it illegal because it was already illegal. And so um, getting rid of those bad players and, and filtering out the, the bad portions of it and that reckoning, long term, I think is really good for this space. It's just hard to, to figure out how, how do you identify those, those parts of it. And, you know, to some degree, it's just capitalism. Capitalism will eventually take care of of those sorts of situations. And I think, you know, from a regular regulatory standpoint, one of the biggest things that, that government should do is just focus on current laws and, you know, look at those current laws and, um, you know, as I said, like, like fraud, go and check to see what the filings are for these companies, go read those, actually internalize them, understand them, look at what they're, you know, like, what, how are they holding customer money and those sorts of things. Those are you know, accounting one-on-one -on -one problems. They're not super advanced, you know, crypto problems. So coming up with a bunch of new crypto laws to me is kind of scary because it's so hard to quantify at this point, but starting off with at least applying the obvious ones, um, I think will will help the situation and stabilize it also. So at some point we will probably have you know, a little bit better understanding of how to apply all those laws and also have less bad players out there because it'll just, you know, we'll, we'll end up finding the FTXs of the world. And then, you know, the market will get back there, but I think it's definitely not dissimilar from the the internet bubble from, you know, the, web, you know, the two, year 2000-ish bubble, the dot-com bubble, where, you know, after the dot-com bubble, everyone was like, oh, you know, is the internet dead? You know, like, like, like our website's going to come back? Is this, you know, yeah, of course websites came back. Not all of them, you know, Amazon came back, but pets.com did not. And so you know, having, you're going through that, that delinting of the space on a fairly regular basis is done, it's definitely not a bad thing. It's just a painful thing. Yeah, that, that makes total sense. The other thing too is I think the cryptocurrency that was just based on hype too and didn't actually do anything, like people want that to disappear because, and yes, it sucks that you lost, you're going to lose a bunch of money, but it's better to kind of weed all that out early on and hopefully people, you know, figure out like, oh, this one doesn't actually do anything, right? Where I think so many people got caught up in the hype it's like i gotta buy all this stuff but it's like it doesn't really do anything other because they like there's all those like joke coins that people started right and it's like well of course they're gonna probably go to zero because they don't really do anything or do you know what i'm getting at or do you agree with that i do i'm kind of fascinated though with how well those meme coins work like, like I, I whoever makes them or if you look, look at you know doge has been around for a while but then yep. you had you know shiba for example and there's there's a whole bunch of meme coins out there and you know, I, I, it, it's kind of like it shows that, you know, a, a person would buy makeup because the Kardashians tell you to buy makeup, right? So they don't right. look at what the makeup is. It might be good makeup, I don't know, but same kind of thing with these coins. It's like, if they think the coin's cool because it's the meme that they like, they go out and buy it because, you know, what the heck. I, I'm not sure if people or society is rational enough to not buy th things that have, you know, 
pretty frosting on them, like meme coins that don't really have much value other than just that. Um, I think that'll continue to happen, to be honest. Uh, they're going to come and go, perhaps. You know, maybe the, the meme coins that survive, you know, they have to be a concept or something that's got a longer brand life. But um, I'm actually shocked how well they do. And you know, maybe there's a space for them. Maybe, you know, maybe they function better than some other currencies for paying for things. Like Bitcoin, the original purpose of it was to make you know, inexpensive, small peer-to-peer -peer payments. Right. Obviously, that's not it. So if one of these other coins, even if it's a meme coin, can actually produce that result for us, maybe it's not that. I don't know. Yeah. I don't think Litecoin's accomplished that either. But it's so I wouldn't write them all off. But I do agree that I think, um, that, and that's one of the places where I think the the government should be looking at a lot of these things is how much um, of the, uh, of these prices that are out there. You know, how do they get to where they are, and you know, were they you know internally you know, pumped, like I think FTT, for example, was the price of it was manipulated on the exchange so that basically they could use the value of that. And this is my understanding from looking from the outside, so I don't know for details, but the value of their, their asset would grow, but the way they were doing that was by basically manipulating what the prices were by um, on a short portion of the, the value of it. And so then, you know, they take loans out against that. So situations like that, where basically you're, you're manipulating a currency for the purpose of a fraud, already is illegal and I, yeah. I, I don't know how they you know, how many of the, the coins that are out there right now have done that or um, have have you know, those probably are the pump and dump sort of a thing right and yeah. I'm sure there's a, a quite a few portions of the, the, the tokens out there that were the pump and dump things hopefully that goes away because um, I think people are getting smarter it's just we have to go through that growth process yeah that that makes a lot of sense so I'm curious does NFT play into XYO or coin at some point ever in the future? Yeah, NFTs are actually, I'm a huge fan of NFTs. Um, not from the standpoint of, you know, having a clip of a basketball play or, you know, a, a picture of, of you know, a, a art or whatever it is. Um, using it as a, as a title of ownership, for example, I think it's interesting where you can say, well, you know, I have say it's a, a piece of art and I've won one hundredth of ownership of this because there's a hundred NFTs of it. And that actually means that if it's ever sold, I get one one hundredth of the proceeds. So I think tying it to some sort of a, a titling system is fascinating. Um, and even even for being able to to sell them. So taking an item out of a game, for example, minting it into NFT, selling it to somebody else and the person who bought it from you could then go ahead and use it in the game. Kind of like uh, Wizards of the Coast's um, a card game, you know, the collectible card games, being able to make NFTs out of those so they're transferable between people and you don't have people photocopying them. I think there's a lot of cool uses for them like that. Um, again, kind of like the the meme coins, I feel that you know, NFTs fundamentally are really sound and really cool and they have these really good purposes, but then you know, as soon as everyone sees them, you know, they think they have a hammer and everything looks like a nail. And so next thing you know, you have millions of, of NFTs out there that are just you know, a person making weird 8-bit graphics or whatever it is and getting lots of money for it, then it deflates. This was a really fast cycle of the tulip market that's going on. But I think there's a real valid use for those. And like, for example, in uh, XYO World, which is a portion of XYO, we have NFTs, which are, we call them geo tokens. And they basically represent a section of the world, depending on which zoom level for a quad key. And a person can own those and you know, transfer them between each other and that sort of a thing. But the idea is it allows you to actually have some say over what the rules are for 
the world, the actual world in that area. And like, you, know, you can have a, a, a quote in there if you want to, or you can say that, you know, these, these different levers, these different settings are different for this part of the world. And so there are ways to use NFTs to make interesting apps and interesting games that are, are useful or even just permanence. Like for example, in our coin app right now, we allow a person to take their badges that they have achievement badges in the app. We allow people to take those and mint them to Ethereum or to Polygon and they can have them forever. So that way you, know, you can prove that you've had this achievement. You can even sell it to somebody else if you want to. And um, those uses of NFTs are great. And I think we'll definitely expand more into the NFT space for XYO and XYO world and some of the things we're doing next year. It's just, I, I hope that the noise of a lot of the, you know, the inflated, you know, basically the, the meme NFTs to a large degree will, will go away quickly. And it seems like they have, it seems like a lot of that market has deflated recently. Yeah, no, that makes sense. I, I agree. I, I think there's a lot of really good uses. Just majority of people haven't really seen those use cases. So a lot of people that write it off, it's like, well, you don't understand like just how much even like, it's just funny if an NFT especially tied to the blockchain and just even like buying legit concert tickets and being able to track right from the artist, right. To like, if it gets resold a bunch of times, right. Like things like that, that people don't even need to know that really it's an NFT, even in the background and it's using blockchain. I think that's where a lot of people are going to really benefit. They're not, they don't even know that those are the technology powering some of their digital transactions. Do you agree with that or your thoughts around that? Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely agree. I think it's, um, it's kind of like everything, you know, come up with a really cool technology and you know, people are often, you know, the whole, you know, guns don't kill people, guns, sorry, guns don't kill people, people kill, kill people, same kind of thing. Like, like, like internet video, for example, is not fundamentally evil, but if you ask a person about internet video in the nineties, internet video meant porn because yeah. the, the people who were like, oh, how, you know, how can we maximize the value of internet video? Well, porn was the immediate answer. So if everyone's like, okay, well, we should just cancel all internet video. And because someone used it for porn first, like, like that would mean we wouldn't have, you know, Google Hangouts now, for example. So all these technologies, it seems like the, the arbitrage people who jump on the new technology and make money off it on the short term, can really get to market really fast because a lot of it's smoke and mirrors and they, they do that. And then later on, it will finally figure out like, what's it good for? And I actually think it's very similar to consensus. I think consensus is one of those things where people think that it's the, you know, you can solve everything with consensus on blockchains. I don't think so, actually. I think consensus is great for um, like ownership, like ownership of NFTs, ownership of, of ERC-20s or tokens and currency. Um, having you know, those sorts of things are really cool, but actually having smart contracts that you want to run in any sort of a performant way, consensus really, really does not work for that very well. I actually think self-sovereign um, blockchain systems like XYO is the way of the future to actually achieve scale, not to just try to figure out how to actually make consensus faster and faster and faster. So I, I think consensus is also getting to the point where there's the, the two or three things it's just amazing at, and we should really lean into how those are used and then find better solutions for the other things. And same thing for NFTs, you know, find the things which they're actually fundamentally good at, use them for that. Don't do the, you know, the fly by night sort of NFTs. Don't use them for things that doesn't make sense for. And then you, know, you end up with maybe 10% of the uses of it become long-term uses and the other 90% just kind of fall away eventually. And I just feel like we're going through these cycles with these new technologies really fast in crypto because we can, you know, 
ERC-20s, NFTs, just consensus in the blockchain in general, even blockchain itself. I, I don't think blockchain is something where every, everything in the world should always be in a blockchain. It makes it much heavier and there's some cost to that. So knowing where to apply these technologies, I think is very important. And I, I actually think that consensus as a cryptographic mechanism for, uh, for these systems are gonna, is going to actually shrink in usage and get replaced with zero knowledge proofs and, um, and those sorts of solutions. Interesting. I, I agree with you. Can you maybe give us some examples of when you think blockchain makes sense and some examples when we should just do it how we always have? Well, blockchain makes sense specifically if you want permanence, right? Because right. the hashes can't be changed. So permanence is a very important part of it. If you don't care about permanence or if, like, for example, if you're going to drop every 10th frame in a video, for example, if you have a blockchain on that and you drop every 10th frame, your chain breaks and there's no way to verify it anyway. So now you've basically wasted a bunch of time linking these things together and you can't go through and walk that, that block. So in, in many data stores, uh, especially if it's, if it's data which you don't want to retain all the data of, or if you don't care about the order in which it's in or any sort of permanence, you don't necessarily need it for that. Um, it is nice though to be able to potentially take a large portion of data, hash it and, and be able to store that hash somewhere so you can say, well, I know this didn't change. I, I know, you know we, but we already have that sort of a thing. If you look at GitHub, GitHub is basically a blockchain of changes in your code settings for or your, your code set for that that repo. Yeah, and totally. each one has a hash and it's, it's unchangeable. And then on npm, when you download the package, that's got a hash also, so you can know that oh, is this the exact same thing I got last time? Yes, because the hash is the same. I can verify it. So those are are ways to potentially provide some of the same solutions as blockchain with hashing. Um, without having to go through and, you know, have links between them necessarily or have consensus, you know, like, like we don't have to have people agree that the hash is correct because I can just do the math and tell you the hash is correct, right? So all those things, finding out, you know, what are the right nails for the right hammers, I think is something which it's, um, it's happening nice and fast actually in the crypto space, but people tend to, to, you know, when they get a new hammer, they go and try and figure out you know, what can you do with this? It's a new toy. And so we see that explosion of different ideas, which is nice because you get to find out, you know, what the corners are and what the interesting things are really fast. It's just, it potentially also has the effect of if people get in the wrong, wrong bandwagon and they think that's the future, they're going to end up being burnt. Like they buy NFTs that are going to be useless in the future. I feel bad for those people, but that's, you know, they're adults and, you know, we should be careful. Yeah, interesting. Any other predictions or thoughts for the future of kind of crypto and blockchain? Um, or Web3 in general? Or the metaverse? I'm curious, like, would you tie the metaverse into XYO at some point? I would definitely. So I think the metaverse is interesting. I kind of hate the fact that Zuckerberg kind of took a you know, $10 million piss on, on the metaverse with his yeah, name. you and me both. But um, it's actually a really cool name. The metaverse is the idea is, is all this data together, kind of in a weird sort of way, like your own mind and your own you know, being as a human is a metaverse. It's your own personal reality that's there. And I think the metaverse, you know, is, is really just a shared space between all of our own personal realities and how they overlap. So I think that's actually going to be something that's going to be very interesting in the future. I don't think it's VR. Um, I, I don't know if you've tried out VR solutions, but after about 15 minutes, I'm exhausted from using a VR headset and trying to walk around and not fall over. Yeah. So they also um, make me dizzy. So I get it. <laughs> yeah. Well, augmented reality is definitely more interesting on there, but even just, um, you know, your, your online personas and the at data storage is kind of part of the metaverse. So I think to some degree, we already have a metaverse. The internet's a metaverse. You know, your, 
your social media pages, your Twitter is, is a little metaverse. And how those all go together you know, is, is a metaverse, but how do you actually harness that and make it into something which is more interoperable with each other, I think is, um, is one of the interesting things that's on there. So I think the metaverse is a, you know, per my definition of it, is a huge part of the future. Um, I just don't think what people think of the metaverse often, especially after Zuckerberg went and you know, tried to do it with VR, is anything close to what it's going to be. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, cool. I, I'm, we're kind of coming to the end of the show. So is there any advice for people that are maybe starting out in the blockchain crypto space, whether they're doing a startup or not, that you'd like to pass on? Um, well, you know, definitely, if you're, if you're going to be in the startup space and making your own company, I think there's a lot of diligence that'll still be done on the, you know, the legal aspects of things. Um, like my company, for example, we you know, we did a Reg A plus, where you know, uh, publicly filing, you know, we have public shares we trade, we have our token and all sorts of things. We're in the U.S. and I actually would recommend for people to do it in the U.S. as opposed to going and you know, Isle of Man or finding some sort of a jurisdiction where you feel like you know, the government can't get to you. Because um, if you are in those jurisdictions, you know, your, your little evil side inside of your mind is going to tempt you to do things which are maybe questionable. I, I actually like being in the United States because I think A, it provides credibility for my company and B, it also, um, it's a nice checks and balances system for, for your, yourself and for your company. And it also you know, gives you transparency where people can see where it is. So. Um, I think long-term, the value, like I, I think Coinbase has a really good long-term uh, value because of the fact that it's it's in the U.S. as opposed to other exchanges. And the same thing for my company. The fact that we're in the U.S., we're publicly filing, you know, we have audited financials by a reputable auditor as opposed to um, by whoever audited FTX's financials. Um, yeah, those sorts of things give you much more comfort. So I think if I was starting a company now, I, I would definitely either do it in the US or, or potentially in Europe somewhere, like, like in a main you know, country, not not in a, a jurisdiction where it's a, a haven of some sort. So uh, don't don't try to bend the rules because you know it, it's gonna bite you in the ass eventually. No, I actually think that's that's really good advice. But uh we're we're sadly out of time. So how about we close with mentioning where people can get more information about XYO coin and any other links you want to mention? Okay, well, so Coin is at uh, coinapp.co. If you go there, it's the website that tells you all about it. Or if you just search for CoinApp in the App Store or Play Store, uh, XYO is easily found at xyo.network. Um, there you can see what the technology is. Uh, our GitHub repos are available there. And then XY Labs is our company. So if you go to xylabs.com, you can see more information about our company. And that's also where you can see about our shares, for example. So if you want to you know, buy shares in our company there's uh, xylb is our our stock ticker so if you search for xylb price you'll see that in google come up as our our uh, price ticker for our shares they're on um on t0 actually which is a, a crypto wrapped um equity market basically so we're one of the earliest companies to do that so go to xylabs.com xy for our company xyo.network for the the technology and then coinapp.co if you want to partake in the well the data marketplace that we have there very cool. Well, Ari, I really appreciate you taking the time out of your day to be on the show, and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Thanks, Kevin. Thanks, Thanks for very much. Thank you. Okay, bye. Ari. Thanks for listening. Please visit our website at buildingthefutureshow.com to join the free community. 
sign up for our newsletter, or to sponsor the show. The music is done by Electric Mantra. You can check him out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future. <laughs>